Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Time Extend. My name is Adam Ismail, and today I'm joined by... Uh, Brendan Rorison, and um, it's not just myself here with you today, Adam. We also have Alex Easter. How's it going, Alex? Hello. Yeah, uh, very well, thank you. Yeah, long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Alex Easter, uh, who whooped all of our asses at virtual racing at Sega uh, just you, a month uh, ago. I'm- I mean, let's go with that version of history. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it wasn't just you. Uh, Martha was pretty amazing too. But um, but yeah, you guys, you guys definitely run a virtual racing clinic over at uh, Sega Studio in London. Well, it, it was it was great to have you guys over actually to, to come over and Brend, even though he's uh, not not a not a hustler at all, just comes in going, yeah, watch this. It was uh, it was it was, it was, it was, it was great. It was great fun. But I'm just marvel at how you you do it using the the d-pad right yeah that's it so um i've been homeschooled on the d-pad and and automatic and not mails like how are these times possible it's it's like you're deliberately making it difficult for you (laughs) to be honest i do that with quite a lot of games as well like even a sega rally evo which we've talked about a lot like we did a a time trial competition and everyone was talking about using the manual gears the analog stick i was still using the d-pad and automatic and managed to to set the fastest time there as well (laughs) so (laughs) i remember when you set like when you were like really in your strat in virtual racing and you were saying all those records and stuff and you would send me like your times and i would say like oh like i can't do it now because like i'm not home but like when i get home and i have like my pro controller and i can use that and he's like what pro controller and i'm like (laughs) you're not using the pro no man i'm using the d-pad i'm like those that's not even a d-pad those are just buttons (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's like the next step up the, the, the switch d-pad or a lack of is definitely um it's definitely something uh, unique put it that way <laughs> yeah that's crazy i mean i think what do they say like a, a true mark of a great uh racing driver is the ability to i mean maybe i'm making this up but is the ability to do it in any condition uh on yep. any surface <laughs> and you can apparently turn out world record times uh, with a Joy-Con, which I think is more impressive than somebody who is faster with a regular controller. <laughs> <laughs> no, somebody's definitely definitely said that. It was, it was a driver at some point has definitely yeah. said that. It's true, yeah. And as I said, I think last show, when you start Asphalt 9 uh, on your phone, it says, uh, like, great drivers are remembered, ne- legends never die, or something like that, and then quoted to anonymous driver. So... <laughs> But yeah, but yeah. So you know, we're we're recording this. L- luckily, time extend can continue uh, because uh, outside of the last show that we did, Brendan, it doesn't require face to face contact. So yeah, yeah, we're not really that impacted, thankfully. Um, um, <laughs> probably one of the very few uh, situations where it doesn't really make a difference. Um, but. No, it was fun getting those in-person pods done as well. It almost seemed like the absolute perfect timing, really. I don't think we could have cut it any closer to this, like, lockdown situation. Yeah, we'll never be able to do it again. So uh, it's good that we, we could <laughs> while we had the chance. Um, yeah. How are you guys? Uh, how are you holding up, Alex? Um, urge to kill is slowly rising. Because, uh, uh, yeah, the... Uh, with three kids, age three, one, and one, oh god, they, uh, yeah. they need they need attention. But um, yeah, uh, got a desk now. It used to be my working from home was basically sat on the bed upstairs, 
cradled over my laptop, but now I've actually got a desk and stole a couple of monitors from from work. But um, we've been doing a lot of conference calls at work, and all of us that have got kids, our 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 children have sort of become honorary members of the team. So you'll have like six people on a on a on a Zoom conference call, and you'll see these little faces start sliding up from the bottom <laughs> of the screen, going like, "Who's that?" Um, but yeah, yes. Yeah, so I'm starting to lose track of what days what because I've got no routine now. Like I don't play football, I don't go and do this, I don't commute anymore. It's just just every yeah. day is kind of the same. It's a little bit weird. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. And and of course, your old work from home machine was the Sega Saturn, right? Hundred percent. Yeah, I've actually um, <laughs> flexible working. I've left Sega. I've, I've left a Saturn and a Dreamcast at the office, and then I've got a couple back here as well. So uh, norm, normal service can be resumed. It's all mm -hmm. about preparation. Do you have um, like any of those like weird like third party Saturns like the the Victor or the? I've got two um, normal round button uh, sort of PAL Saturns, so they're just completely standard ones. I just got one of them as a backup for when mine eventually eats it. And then while I lived in Japan, because Saturns were pretty cheap, um, and I lived quite close to to quite a few junk shops, so I, I bought a um. One of those skeleton this is cool satins and uh, i got a uh i think it's a it's a it's not a high satin i got one of the jvc ones um, or something. that's right yeah. yeah i did buy a high satin while i was there and it was the only thing i bought there which didn't work um <laughs> yeah but i mean I, I i i couldn't justify coming back with more than two satins really uh, <laughs> so yeah I mean, that's two more than I would even bother to bring with me. I mean, I, I of course, I would make every effort to buy every Sega Saturn that came my way, but as far as how I'd get them home, I have no idea. I mean, I was trying to figure out a way when I was, uh, when I was in Glasgow with you, Brent, to pick up, like, a European PS2 or something like that. Yeah, like, yeah. That wasn't feasible. Yeah, it's... I mean, weirdly enough, um, I've been considering buying a new Saturn for a while because, um, like, all of my older consoles, I think I've talked about this before, they've just kind of disappeared into the ether for some reason. So, um, having to rebuy them a lot, and I don't know if it's a direct correlation to what's going on in the world, but if you actually look at the kind of the prices of like, retro games consoles, um, they, they've started to spike in the past like, three weeks. So it's actually... Um, a, a lot more expensive like there's a Saturn right now on eBay I was looking at this morning and it had 17 bids with 3 hours still left and it was at £95 now 2 months ago the, the Saturns that I was looking at they were kind of hovering around the £50 mark so it's it's a weird it's just a weird situation really because why was it would... an oval button one or a round button one it was uh, 2 seconds so bring it up I can't remember off the top of my head but it's yeah, it's just a round button one um it's got five games with it, I suppose, which maybe is that's why the price has bumped up. But uh, it's just been a bit harder to get a hold of a Saturn at a reasonable price. I mean, I, I would still pay that amount anyway, but that's a bidding war, and there's still like five, five hours left. So I imagine it's going to hit triple digits, which is wild. The prices of retro game consoles these days is already ridiculous, and then you factor in the global pandemic, and yeah, I am not surprised. Luckily, I have a Saturn at my parents' house in Pennsylvania, which is where I'm at now. Uh, though I haven't been playing it much because, and here is a very smooth segue, I've been focusing on the games that we are going to talk about this week. Uh, nice. Which is, Slick. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, which is the PGR series. Um, 
So yeah, that segue was so smooth that I actually hadn't prepared anything beyond that statement. So um, <laughs> you, over, you, you overshot your own professionalism. Amazing. Yeah, yeah a little bit. Uh, Bren, tell us what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll happily take over from here. Adam, uh, you, you've done your job for today with that segue. <laughs> um, so we're going to be talking about the Project Gotham Racing series. Um, but that also happens to include uh, the likes of MSR on the Dreamcast. But also uh, we'll kind of tail off conversation with just talk about Bizarre Creations in itself. Because it's it's one of those studios with so much heritage and history within the racing game genre that it probably deserves a conversation when we're talking about its most premier series. So I guess we'll get things kicked off then and start at the, the very beginning of the, the kind of PGR journey, uh, you could say. And it really begins with uh, Metropolis Street Racer on the Dreamcast. Now, Alex, from what I understand and having seen as well uh, from your, your old exploits on the, the Dreamcast, <laughs> uh, you're quite fan of MSR. <laughs> Yeah, um, one thing also worth bearing in mind is that back then I must have been about, well, I was early teens and made the mistake of believing I was funny, um, which would probably have affected <laughs> quite a lot of what you saw on my uh, on my profile and the way I set the game up. But, but yeah, I remember that, that game, because it wasn't a lot like that on the Dreamcast. Obviously, the, the, the PlayStation yeah. had, had quite a rich fleet game. And you had Sega Rally 2. And obviously that it was it was imperfect as you, as you discussed before. But it wasn't a huge variety of games coming. I don't, I don't think the um, the Le Mans game had come out yet, which which is phenomenal. Sure. Um, but I, I remember just when when they started showing off the demos of that on the discs and seeing the articles written about it, and they're saying we took 11 million photographs of the railings in London. This sort of stuff. <laughs> just, it, it was just this serious hype for the sort of fidelity that hadn't. Really seen in games um, up until that point certainly on console as far as I know uh, anyway and it was just uh, yeah it was, it was a revelation um, yeah playing it it was j just everything about it and the things like the presentation as well because it, it, they, they did a lot of stuff that hadn't necessarily been in, in games before so it's really exciting yeah exactly and I think like um, it's a bit of background to the title as well um, Sega were really impressed with uh, the Formula 1 titles that Ebizar had been doing and, um, and E3 1997, funnily enough, um, a Sega producer went on to, to unplug a PlayStation demo unit that was running the game because they were curious who it was that made it. And then from there, that led to the kind of relationship and MSR uh, coming to fruition. And like you're saying, I think the, the thing that really strikes me about MSR and I think most people is that it's got this nice bit of like swagging and personality to it that a lot of racing games, especially at the time, probably wouldn't have touched. Because you were saying yourself about how you, you thought you were funny when you were younger and stuff, with how you managed to mod like kind of add your own bit of flavour to the game through the, the stuff that appeared for Second Sector Times, all that. The fact that you could even edit that type of content, I mean, that's something that... I mean, why why would you put that in a racing game? Who thought of that idea? And yet it's one of the, the many little touches along the way that makes MSR pretty great. MSR was a yeah. very strange game, like, to play <laughs> when it came out. Because, I mean, you had that, and just the whole kudos concept was, like, unheard of. Yeah. The whole structure of the game was very weird. I mean, it was all it was all very exciting, but... You know, as we as we talk about the PGR series, my, my feelings on MSR is that um, it's a good game, but it's a very rough game. And I mean, if you follow the development of it, it's it's clear that it was it was rushed <laughs> and uh, 
and it is kind of rough around the edges uh, and the team was aware of that and Sega was aware of that to the point where they had to release successive versions of it and press discs that didn't have certain glitches in them. Um, the game didn't even have a replay mode for crying out loud because it kept crashing so they just like removed it at the last minute. Uh, but even though MSR isn't the best sort of example or realization of Bizarre's vision, I think it's actually one of the most important racing games ever. Because, I mean, to me, it's kind of not single-handedly responsible, but responsible in a big way for this whole quote-unquote, like, sim-paid approach to racing games. Like, um, I guess you could say that it's more arcadey, but just the whole idea of, you know, we want, it's, it's not just about, you know, something you keep seeing in MSR and PGR is this phrase. It's not about how, or it's not, not about how fast you drive. It's about how you drive fast and using the physics and using the way the cars handle to drive with more flair, drift more, pull off weird, you know, for the action hero, like beats of car control. And <laughs> yeah. that was kind of a unique thing back then. Um, just this whole focus on physics and, and driving with style. Uh, to me, it's one of like the sort of important developments in the genre. And even though it wasn't like perfectly realized at that time, and we'll get into all of the problems with it, um, it kind of did touch off this trend. No, you're absolutely right. So it was definitely striking out a new direction that racing has had done before. And like you say, actually, what people remember about MSR isn't isn't that it was a great handling game because it cause, I mean it wasn't bad it, it wasn't it wasn't particularly bad but it, it, you don't look back and remember how great the handling was you remember that it just did something different with the handling and then all the other stuff that it that it brought like you know the the soundtracks and the um, presentation the kudos system the the locations all the sort of approach um, you're right it, it's really important because of all the things that it tried and landed a lot of them not so much other bits but uh yeah it's, it's, it's an unusual claim for for a racing game to be able to have to, to have that sort of uh you know legacy yeah and i guess we should uh for for the folks i mean everyone listening probably knows what pgr is but um if you aren't that familiar with the series uh i mean msr and pgr they're the same game uh just we'll get into why the name changed at a certain point um, but basically with MSR, uh, it's a street racing game. You have three cities, uh, Tokyo, San Francisco, and London. And within those cities, uh, Bazaar went around, took like 30,000 photographs and like 30 hours of video, you know, probably on like those camcorders back in the day, which is kind of crazy to imagine. And <laughs> recorded all this footage, um, of these three cities and, recreated those cities in the highest amount of detail that was possible back in 2000 when this game came out, um, late 2000. And uh, they used tourist guides and maps as reference to ensure the environments were as accurate as possible. Uh, and there was also this really, it, it was one of those things, I feel like it's a very like, like late 90s, early 2000s idea um, that totally is awful sounding today, but at the time was really exciting where depending on when you played the game, uh, basically the times in, in those cities in the game were reflected uh, 
from the Dreamcast internal clock as like the actual time of day. So let's say you were, you know, you were me and you were in New Jersey and you were playing the game at 3 p.m. And the internal clock on your Dreamcast was correct. Or actually, it wasn't even the internal clock because you had to, you had to like set the um, the time zone you were in every time you started the game, which is really annoying. But if you were if you were playing at like 3 p.m. in uh, the Northeast U.S. and then you were doing a race in London, it would be at eight at night. And if you were in Tokyo, I I don't know when that would be. Probably like what like five in the morning or something. So um, <laughs> it was cool because it. You know, it reflected that whole like this game is real, like it's it's founded upon all of these like realistic aspects of you were actually driving in London at this time or Tokyo or whatever. But it's really annoying when like you know, for me I would get home from school because I was a little kid, I was like I was like <laughs> seven or eight. Every single day I would go to do a race in in uh, London and it would be you know, I couldn't see anything, it would be really dark, it would be nighttime. And then Tokyo would be like the early morning. So it almost like you actually sometimes when you play the game, you wanted to set the internal clock to the wrong time just so you could see. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. Remember that's that's what weekends were for, basically. <laughs> yeah, they, they ditched that idea. They never really brought that back in future games. It was probably a smart move. Um Yeah. But but still at the time it was very exciting. I remember to that point, what really brought it home to me how significant that was was like I'd, I'd been playing it for a while and the fact is at that point i hadn't been to london that much i lived 70 miles away and hadn't had been for maybe a school trip once and hadn't really seen it um you know, seen it on tv but i hadn't really been there and been down the road and, and through the arches and all that sort of thing um i've definitely not been to america and i hadn't been to tokyo um so all i said oh, these these are very cool looking places and they look sort of authentic but it didn't really have a hook to me and then my dad walked past the tv one time when i was playing a london track and he said back up i was like no i'm in a race he said, no 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 back up i was like okay and he said i bought a guitar there eight years ago i was like oh wow <laughs> he spotted like a he'd spotted a, a really pixely shop sign that had been <laughs> reproduced on one of the streets he's like oh yeah i know where that is and that's what really blew me away i was like oh my god that's amazing yeah and this was this was unprecedented like I think the Dreamcast was the first console where environments that were supposed to look real or, or were inspired upon, you know, real locations in, in the world actually looked somewhat accurate. And yeah. and not just not just like the street signs and things like or the um you know the shop signs and things like that, but like even the scale of everything. Like even when you go back and play Gran Turismo, like the, the billboards are like freaking massive and the trees like dwarf your yeah. car like the scale's all wrong and to me the the dreamcast the generation beginning with the dreamcast was the first to actually create worlds that look lifelike i mean you see it in shenmue too i mean before that there was never a game where when you walked around on a street or something like everything just just seemed to you know the scale was right and it was just much more immersive it, it just felt like actual place you could be and until this point i mean that never really happened for racing games and msr is kind of the first to do it yeah and even the, the car list as well to draw attention to that it's very much based on the the ordinary for a lot of it and obviously you've got some nice sports cars and stuff in there as well but i think like that generation like you're saying 
there was a real push to like capture the kind of the real life element that we actually see in our lives in a video game. And Gran Turismo is often heralded as the, the kind of the main perpetrator of that because it, it gave so much focus to the cars that nobody should really care about. And like MSR with its car list and that type of arcade environment, I still feel as if that does a similar thing where every new car you get it it, it feels like an event to drive it and I think that's pretty cool how they managed to capture that. Yeah, especially given you know that the fastest car by quite a long way is a an R thirty four GTR. Yeah. And that is a that is easily the fastest car. A lot of the other ones I, I, I like it was quite refreshing actually that, that relatively compared to what you get in other games that the car list was quite slow, which I thought was quite nice. Yeah, agreed. And I think that's that's exactly what I was saying as well, Alex. It's just that idea that Racing games, um, even now, you could say are pretty guilty of the whole idea. Here's a hypercar. Here's a supercar. Here's a car that's that fast. It doesn't actually exist. Like it's always like that type of thing. Whereas MSR was very much the opposite approach of no, these these are the everyday heroes. People like driving, and um, we're going to have a, a nice, cool kudo system to tie it all together so that you, you feel as if you're achieving something just by driving it. And I think like that's it set the, the foundations for where um, Bizarre would go after MSR. Yeah, and I think what helps MSR is the fact that although the car list, like, you look at it and it's quite slow, I mean, like, one of the first cars you get in the game is, like, a Fiat Barchetta, right? Which is, is, is like, slower than a Mini Cooper. Um, it's, it is a slow car list, but it's not, it doesn't feel slow. Like, because of, like, the sense of pace of the game, because of the moves you're trying to pull off, because of how yeah. close cores everything is and how tight these city tracks are, uh, these cars don't feel very slow for the environments you're racing in. And that really works to the game's favor. Because as we go on and we talk about a game like PGR4, uh, and I know I'm skipping many steps ahead, one of my issues with that game is that it, in the beginning the car list is slow and it's not fun. And it's, it's a long slog. But you never really feel that with MSR. From the moment you get going, even though the cars seem and, and are very, very slow like in the real world... Uh, they work for the game somehow and the sense of speed works. And I think for a game like this, that's important. It doesn't really matter that, you know, I'm sure Barkeda might not be as thrilling to drive as MSR makes it seem, but it doesn't matter. It's a video game. And I'm just happy that you don't have to spend hours, you know, when you start the game, just kind of trudging away in those like really, really like boring bottom, bottom tier classes. But I, I, I think this is actually a good segue into some of the more head-scratching decisions yeah. about this game. Uh, because, so so the Kudo system, uh, if you don't know, is basically it, it awards you points for driving maneuvers. I mean, it, whether it's passing, uh, overtaking their car, or drifting. I think in MSR, it really is either overtaking a car or drifting, right? Or it might just be drifting, honestly. Um, <laughs> it wasn't It wasn't very fleshed out. As the series would go on, they would give you they would give you more points for, for other things. Um, but there are a lot of, and, and going back to what I was saying before about the game being rough, there are a lot of like head scratching design decisions in it. Um, one of which is that like you're awarded points based on the Kudo system, right? But in MSR, you don't actually know how many points you've been given for anything until the race is over. Because you <laughs> yeah. know you're earning Kudos because there is a K icon that appears on the screen and it kind of fades in and out depending on how much Kudos you're earning at that time. But there's no number attached to it in the race. So it's kind of, 
I don't, I don't know why they thought that would be a better approach than actually giving you points in real time. Uh, it's stuff like that. Um, the, the Kudo system, also in MSR only, takes away points when you crash into an object <laughs> or crash into someone, yep. uh, which is quite punishing. And the whole way that the career mode works, uh, it's broken up into these many, many chapters that are kind of separated by like car class. And there's like maybe like 15 or, or 12 or something events in every single chapter. And when you go to do one for the first time, uh, you know, you, you, you collect a certain amount of kudos. And then depending on how much kudos you've earned in that chapter, you can progress to the next one. But if you fail at that event, if you don't finish it, uh, they'll just penalize you 50 kudos or like 100 or something like that. Uh, so this game penalizes you if you don't finish events and makes you go back, which like, of course, you, you would always go back anyway, probably, right? I mean, you're not going to, if you fail something, you're never, you're not going to not return to it. Um, it also makes you in a lot of cases, uh, and, and I know I'm kind of talking a lot about this, but it is very complicated. <laughs> um, you have these like time trial events, right? Where you have to like set these fast times, but you kind of have to wager with the game as to like how fast you think your time will be. And you've never driven the track before in many of these cases. So there's no way for you to predict how long it's going to take you to finish an event. But if you come <laughs> up above your wager or above your estimation, the game will penalize you for that too. So it's just this weird system where you, you go into events not really knowing whether the objective that you've set for yourself is easy or difficult. And the game is just really willing to punish you all the time if you don't play it the way it wants to be played. Um, I mean, if you change cars, for example, they, they deduct a portion of the kudos that you've earned up to that point in the game with that car, because you can only have like three or four cars in your garage. So yeah, it's yeah. just really complicated and needlessly so, and I just I never really understood the reasons behind it. I seem to remember, and I might be misremembering that, because you, you could unlock later chapters without having finished the previous ones right just if you as long as you just reached a certain like kudos threshold it, sure. it would unlock um yeah and it, it could mean that then if you had a you struggled with a couple of events that you were trying and lost enough good they'd be unlocked they'd be locked up again <laughs> even if you'd done some of the <laughs> oh, right. some of the events and i'm yep. taking that away from you now and and you're right actually looking back at it quite baffling and i, I guess i just sort of accepted it because i was glad to be playing a game set in the real world like driving an rx7 or a 3000 gt with with rude words coming up on the screen whenever i did power slides and i, I guess that just went a long way to me uh, forgiving a lot of what actually is a bit of madness alex uh real quick and and if, if you don't want to tell all of the listeners i understand but <laughs> would you be willing to share the rude words that you <laughs> Uh, I mean, your I mean, copy of MSR. They went through a lot of iterations, and honest, I, I, I don't recall what they all were. Brend might, but um, I, I think one of them, which I believe was negative, if you hit something, it would call you a jizz biscuit. Uh, yeah, yep, yeah. That's yeah. the one I remember. And that was, I think I might actually have spelled biscuit properly as, uh, as, as my pushback against Limp Biscuit. But, um, That's impressive. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think there, there was another one where if you, you actually did well, you still had that kind of backhanded insult about it, like, you show off. Yeah, <laughs> again, uh, yeah, and it wasn't clever, it wasn't witty, and uh, we don't we don't need to dwell on that. Look, yeah. you were you were you were a teenager. It's fine. Basically, when we were at Sega, we played some MSR, and uh, and it was Alice's copy. And yeah, I was surprised when I saw you Jizz Biscuit pop up on the screen. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't expecting that. I was just McLovin back then. I think, I think, I, th I, think my, I think I think the name for the, for the for the save file was Love Bucket, spelled L-U-V. So, wow, tells you all you need to know, really. Yeah, so, I mean, this is going to be a long show if we keep talking about MSR. I mean, it's already going to be a long show. We should probably move on from MSR. But yeah, just know that it was, and it was also like, it was very buggy. It was basically, you know, it was rushed and, and they knew it. And the European version of the game actually has the most bugs. Uh, I think by the time it made it to North America, many of those were stamped out. Uh, and it, I don't think it ever made it to Japan because they were... They were going to release it there, and then I think simultaneously the Dreamcast was discontinued because this was this was a very late late system, like late in the cycle game for that system. Grant, you know, the Dreamcast cycle was only like a year and a half, <laughs> but but uh, yeah. So so basically, MSR came and went, and uh, you know, the studio Bizarre Creations was gutted because I, I it was something that when I was reading, uh, doing as much research as I could about this because I wrote an article about two years ago for GT Planet about PGR that talks a lot about MSR and, and how the series started, is that Sega Europe and Bazaar had really, really high expectations for this game. Like, they thought this was going to be maybe not a system seller, but be one of the yeah. Dreamcast's like, best-selling games and like the game that was really going to validate it to people who were like, oh, I should just wait for a PS2. And it's like, no, you need to see MSR on the Dreamcast. It is like a step towards like the next generation. Uh, and then the game sold like, I think like 120,000 copies. Like, I don't, know. I don't know whether that's in the UK or what, but some, some ridiculously no low number. So basically Bizarre decided that they were going to sort of shop what they've created around uh, I think they met with Microsoft, uh, is what this is how the story goes, and um, yeah. came in thinking that they were going to maybe create like a new F1 title or something like that, something something along the lines of like a sim racer. Uh, but then Microsoft actually said, like, you know what, MSR is kind of what you did with that is kind of in our wheelhouse. Like it's, um, you know, Xbox was like. It had this approach, uh, Microsoft took this approach with the Xbox, you know, when it came out where it was it was a lot like Sony did in the mid-90s with the PlayStation. They were trying to be edgy, they were trying to be hip, and I think MSR appealed to them for that reason. So they were like, if there's any way that you could just make that again for us, that would be great. Uh, and Bazaar was like, sure, let's do it. Um, they couldn't use the MSR name because Sega owned it. So uh, rather than calling it Metropolis Street Racer, uh, Project Gotham Racing was born. And uh, growing up, my suspicions were that these were uh, comic book references, and it's totally true. Um, you know, Project Gotham being the Batman foil to uh, Metropolis Street Racer, which was the Superman-inspired title. So that's kind of a neat wrinkle that, that I hadn't realized. I guess part of it is also that um, 
you know, tr traditionally a new console launch, oh, well, you need you need you need a racing game to, to showcase something. And I think other than Gotham One, the Xbox only had I think it was like Midtown Madness, which which I, I guess wasn't didn't really fill that niche that they wanted. Yeah, and I don't know when Midtown Madness came out. I think that might have been later on, but um, but PGR not not very not very far along, but. PGR was a launch title, and I remember um, playing it, and I think at the time I was aware that it was kind of like, it was MSR all over again. Um, but the thing is, it's very, that's a very interesting generation, because obviously the Dreamcast came out about two years before the Xbox did. It's almost It was almost like a generational leap within that generation, like... PGR definitely looks like a, a better, smoother game. It's it's 60 frames per second. Um, just the, the detail in the environments. Like, I remember the reflections on the cars were, like, kind of jaw-dropping. And it basically, it's not very different from MSR, especially because they reuse, a lo they reuse those same cities, uh, and they also add New York. And they also add different areas, in some cases, within those cities. Um, but... It was it was basically all of the things that we just talked about at MSR with respect to kind of how head scratching some of those design decisions were. PGR got rid of a lot of them and tightened a lot of things up, and that's why as much as I love the Dreamcast, it's it's much easier for me to go back to PGR than going back to MSR. Yeah, exactly, and I think um, that that kind of mirrors my feelings as well. To be honest, Adam, that the kind of the difference in the two games is pretty stark when you consider the kind of the goals of MSR almost seemed a bit more kind of micro focused in many ways. Whereas in PGR, I personally felt as if that was a bizarre starting to kind of flex their muscles a bit more and seeing how they could make a game that really was a system seller in the racing genre. Yeah, and and, and let's be clear, like PGR definitely benefited from like Microsoft money. Um, because immediately, uh, you know, I, I, Alex, we should have spent more time on the on the radio stations and the music in MSR, uh, but we kind of skipped over it. Um, but you alluded to it, and basically, yeah, in MSR you had these. Uh, all the songs were original songs made by Richard Jack, the uh, the ever divisive um, video game composer. Uh, <laughs> Bren loves him. I can't stand him. <laughs> and there were these um, kind of like fake radio stations that the game had and so for for pgr i think they got actual like djs from all of these cities to record dialogue or something like that and then and then the soundtracks yep. were licensed uh you know you had your you this was 2001 so you had your good charlotte song uh for example and um saliva click click boom was a was was a big song back then so of course it's in pgr um, you know, it had a good mix of genres and whatnot, but the radio was a big part of it. And even so much so that like when you were driving in a tunnel or like, uh, you know, under an overpass or something like that, the radio would kind of like come in and out, you know, you, you get some static, uh, which just was one of those like little things that really added to that feeling of, of realism in the game. I think for me, one of the things with this game was this, and actually, you're completely right. I, I, that period of my life, I seem to completely misremembered. Having seen that, like Midtown Madness came out like two years later, so I've, I've just been—I I don't know where I stand anymore. Like, what's true and what's not. Uh, I have to go and do some reflection. But um, the 
the ability on the original Xbox to rip your own CDs and then be able to listen to your own music meant that I, I, I never really actually listened to any of the music on any of the Gotham games instead. It was always a heady mix of Dire Straits, Tiesto <laughs> and Chicane and all, all, all that sort of thing. But that, that was great to be able to like play that sort of game that relies so much on verve and swagger and drifting and to have, 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 your, own, have your own tracks playing. It's fantastic. Yeah, PGR I think has a, especially like PGR one and two have like some really great soundtracks. I mean, PGR two soundtrack is like freaking. I I don't know if they ever use like dual layer DVDs for video games like they did for like movies, but like that game has like three hundred songs in it. It's it's absolutely absurd. Um, but PGR one has a pretty compre- comprehensive soundtrack too, and I, I think. You know, this is at the time, I remember when I was uh, doing research on PGR, there were a lot of comparisons of the Kudos system to, like, uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater, and especially this was a game where they introduced cone challenges, which is one of PGR's most iconic events was the cone challenges, where you you have to go through these gates and also try and and string together these combos by drifting between the gates uh, to kind of keep that Kudos meter running. And... um, as you're doing this, you're listening to music, and it definitely it definitely had that feel of like Tony Hawk with cars, um, which was a very popular thing at the time. And you know, we have to remember that this this was a time where Gran Turismo was the hot commodity, and you had this interesting reaction. Some studios were like, "Well, let's just make our own Gran Turismo," like Sega and. Um, you know, WoW Entertainment did that, and then also uh, Turn 10 with Forza later on. But you had these other studios that were like, no, we're going to make something totally different that's like a rejection, but still really impressive. And like, we're going to rethink like how a racing game can work. And and you saw that from PGR, and you saw that from some, some other oddities, like uh, uh, although Modelista with its cel-shaded graphics and like, our racing evolution with its weird story mode that sucks but is nevertheless there um and enthusio which we'll talk about one day but not today <laughs> so so pgr i think was born of this uh you know this whole series was born of this this desire to create something to take the racing game genre to new places which i think was always one of um after bizarre kind of had that phase where they were making those f1 games for sony uh, even with Blur later on, they, they always want to make something that the genre hadn't seen before. Yeah, exactly. I, I totally agree. Yeah. So, so you know, if you've played uh, MSR, PGR will be very familiar to you and vice versa. Uh, the next big leap for the series was two years later. So you had, you had MSR in... Uh, released November of 2000 in Europe, and then a year later you have PGR for the Dreamcast, um, or sorry, PGR for the Xbox coming out, uh, launching on November 15th in the US on launch day for that system, and then two years later, around the same time, almost exactly two years later, you have PGR 2. And this was... PGR 2 was a big deal for me because it's a huge game, and it felt like after... Bizarre kind of more or less made the same game twice, but but more polished uh, with PGR one. PGR two had so much content. I mean, PGR two, I think 
technically speaking, you know, PGR4 probably has around the same number of cars and, and tracks or and environments as PGR2, but PGR2 just feels so big. Um, I mean, they went from three city or from four cities in PGR1 to 13 in PGR2. Granted, they didn't, um, some of those did actually come out later because they did have like two DLC locations. Yeah. Um, but even with the 11, you still have a ton. And in, in PGR1, basically what they did was they kind of created three small, they, they replicated three small clusters within each of these cities. And then with PGR2, rather than doing that, they kind of, they, they, they like made less tracks with, or made less of, rendered less of the environments within each of these cities. So you have less tracks within every city in PGR2, but you have more cities in general, if that makes sense. Um, which honestly is like a, it makes the game more interesting and more fun because you're always going yeah. somewhere different. Um, you had Barcelona, Chicago, Edinburgh, Florence, Hong Kong, uh, Long Beach, Moscow. Long Beach was DLC. Paris was also DLC. Yeah. Uh, Stockholm, Sydney, Washington, D.C., Yokohama, and the Nürburgring, which was another big deal. So, yeah, lots of tracks. Yeah, it feels like it's a lot more of a fresh game after, like you're saying, that the, the other two can almost kind of blend in in some ways because... PGR felt just like a more polished version of MSR, like you were saying. Whereas PGR2, um, you've got such a wide range of locales that it's easy to forgive the less, um, the less detailed environments and the, the kind of the, the, there wasn't a necessary thirty two thousand photos taken of each location or anything like that. You're just kind of capturing the essence of each location and I think ultimately it makes the game a lot more fun to play because you are touring more of the globe as opposed to just three or four locations like previously. But also importantly, the, there was very few, if any, filler tracks. The, 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 the tracks were all fantastic. They were really smart about which parts of the cities they they used. I mean, obviously there were certain tracks that people would just go to again and again and again because that's, that's the nature of things when you've got so much choice, but you know, particularly the, some of the, the, the tracks in Stockholm and, and Edinburgh in particular just some of the, the tracks are just like you know burned into your psyche just, and, and and they weren't designed as racetracks though they're just 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 normal everyday roads but you, if you select about the ones that you use they're, they're absolutely fa fantastic to play utterly brilliant well I think that's also illustrated by the fact that when Forza Horizon 4 uh, was going to feature Edinburgh um so many people were like, oh, I'm going to drive the Project Golf and Racing track <laughs> for Edinburgh. Yeah, exactly. People just remembered it that much. Yeah, and then they were probably disappointed because, I mean, the, the Edinburgh and Port Horizon is not, it's not true to life in the way that Project Gotham's is, right? So, <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's an interpretation. <laughs> Which is fine. I mean, it's a good interpretation. But, um, yeah, yeah with, with PGR, I mean, they, they were still trying to create these roads and stuff as as accurately as possible and, and i think you know pgr4 for whatever reason uh which had a similar number of cities uh i tend to forget like areas of those cities don't stand out as well as they do in pgr2 i think they did a really good job in this game of finding a collection of cities that were so different like 
uh, you know, Chicago's iconic because um, you have those kind of uh, that train system that runs over a lot of the track. So you remember everything being very shadowy. And it's a very, you know, it's a very American, like, sort of like lots of 90 degree turns, kind of like grid city approach. Um, Edinburgh, of course, you have that castle. Stockholm, I, I have really fond memories of because you're just, um, you're kind of by the water and there it's it's very fast uh but also can be at times very narrow um moscow is ridiculous because usually especially when you go around like the kremlin or whatever like it's you have these mass i mean you're on like red square right so like the road is is a, is like as wide as the sea like you know you have so much room and the lines can be so aggressive uh because you you have all this room so it really becomes important about like the lines you take uh through those tracks um and then yeah it's just like all of these cities just have a really different flavor uh hong kong i just remember you have all of those really really like tight sort of like highway sections um that are like you're always you're always getting off a highway. I feel like or on one, and it's like these these like weird exit ramps and off ramps and things like that. But um, if you don't get that turn exactly right, you're gonna hit a concrete barrier. Uh, and and then you know there's a Nurburgring, which um, wasn't really featured in racing games until this time. I I think in the story I wrote, I said that this was the first racing game to have it. Apparently, Grand Prix Legends had it on the PC. Which makes sense, but the thing is that I think this was probably the first console racing game to have the Nurburgring in it, and it wasn't even the Sim, you know? Yeah, I'll, I'll be honest. It, it, it introduced me. To, I hadn't heard of the Nurburgring before this. Oh, um, same. I was. I mean, I think I was ten years old, so there's no way I would have. And actually, it introduced it introduced me to quite a few. So like the Nurburgring, fine, but also I hadn't heard of Koenigsegg before this, or, or some yeah. of the. Some of the more, more obscure cars, you get like the Delfino Feroce, which I think is, it, it, this was probably the, for a lot of people, this was the one time they they saw that car, like, ever. Or uh, cars like the Iceni and just, just other, it, it was had a really great um, car roster. And I think one of the things that really uh, attracted me to it, because uh, they used to have trailers in the cinemas here just before before it launched, because it was, it, was, it, was, it was one of the big flag bearers for Xbox Live, which I'm, Sure, we'll get to in a second. But w w the the car that they always showed was was a a canary yellow um, Porsche 993 GT2, like yep. beautiful split rim alloys and you know the the triangular air intakes and the rear spoiler. And it was just such a sick looking car that typically you wouldn't see. You now a lot of the reason because the Porsche license and, and and so on and so on. But it was just that that car roster was was genius, and and the way that it drip fed it to you and, and let you explore the, sh the, the showroom with some sort of pavlovian response masterwork to a sort of just pull you deeper into the game absolutely fantastic that showroom man like it I, I don't think i discovered the showroom for like you know probably half of my plate my first playthrough of that game but when i did i mean you tell like a 10 year old like yeah you can walk through this like fake dealership and test drive any car you want and it was so big and there were so many cars in that game and there were so many like interesting and weird choices as you said like those kind of one-off supercars that you never hear of again yeah. uh it had the dlk gtr which of course is one of those like legendary supercars that you would unlock that at the end of the game i think if you you were lucky i think you 
think you had to get like the uh, flat. Uh, so the, the the CLK GTL was all golds. Um, oh, it was the uh, the the Speed Twelve that was platinum, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I got the nine eleven GT one, um, which I think was like the all silver or whatever, and that that car was really cool because that the nine eleven GT one was not very common and um, in racing games, and this being a Microsoft published racing game. Uh, in the early 2000s you did have that porsche license and the ferrari license which was very rare to see both of those licenses in one game so uh i, I love all of the games in the series for different reasons but i think pgr2 for me is is my favorite because it's kind of like the, the biggest and the one that felt like it just felt like the biggest deal when that game came out and playing it there was always something to do. There were always there were always like different cities to see or that you want to visit. Um, and the Carlos was massive, obviously. The the songs, the, the soundtrack was so big, <laughs> as I've said. And I and that soundtrack turned me on to a lot of bands I love now, like Last Jaw and whatnot. Um, so yeah, PGR two for me is is it. Yeah, I think it, I think it's easily my favorite as well. I mean, I I'd say. Trying to be dispassionate about it, I'd say Gotham 4 is probably objectively better, but Gotham 2 is the one I absolutely love. I mean, just I played that game online so much. I think for probably about 18 months, my life was just Gotham 2 and Fancy Star Online, and that was it. And just just hammering that game online was absolutely fantastic. And I think it was also part of it was it was it was one of the first times because it's one of those relatively in this in case of Xbox Live online, relatively early online games was sort of starting to get a feel for what the community was i'd say now communities are a lot more slick and a lot more cynical but, but back then you, you know it, it was it was sort of fun and exciting and, and new and people would be talking in lobbies about stuff so you wouldn't have people just racing you'd have people you know just ad hoc setting up cat and mouse and last man standing all those are the sort of yeah. game modes that people used to sink a huge amount of time into and just absolutely um absolutely fantastic i think it does really kind of indicate how i'm i'm not saying like racing esports and competitive racing is a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination but there was definitely an era where just the idea of playing online with people was the fun part so you did have fun game modes and stuff and that's where a lot of time be dedicated whereas now um that scene is like the, the side effect of playing online the primary focus of playing online should be competitive and the I think it kind of it's taken away from that type of enjoyment because I think even if Project Gotham were to come back now, it probably be framed more around winning as opposed to just having fun fun in those type of events. Yeah, it was interesting that looking back, I realised I was a bit of a hypocrite because I, I don't like people that say you're playing the game wrong, you're enjoying it in the wrong <laughs> way. But yeah. I remember there was a there was a load of people who who would just used to love getting the highest possible kudos in. And they wouldn't bother racing. Yeah. All you'd see is it would be lobbies with people in 911 GT1s doing one particular track in Sydney that was it was basically a square <laughs> over ramps, and they'd just just be chaining this drift over jumps all around, just racking up these spots. And, and we used to see them as a still at this point a, a fairly ridiculous teenager, just assuming these are pale, leathery-skinned Sith people who are just they're playing <laughs> the game wrong. And they're enjoying it wrong, and we don't want to play yeah. with them. Um, at the same time, you know, while we're playing cat and mouse and driving backwards in you know, <laughs> RX8s and all this sort of garbage, yeah. um, 
that yeah that, that that game was absolutely fantastic and the acid test is that of all of the games that i've played that's the only one where my mate who used to be my wing we you know we'd, we'd play that game on just just so much together and we're, we're still in touch we basically we basically met on that game like quite yeah. a long time ago now every couple of years we still meet up just to hammer through the campaign mode just in, in one day just sit down that sounds just fantastic. play through it together <laughs> it's a and and there isn't there isn't really anything else that we that, that i ever have the appetite to try and do that with but gotham yeah. 2 is just uh it's just it this week being uh last three weeks being home with my parents um where I have access to A360, and PGR2 is one of the backwards compatible games. Um, I've been playing through that, and I've been trying to, when I, when I was little, you know, I could, silver was the best I could do uh, in a lot of cases. I think I think there was some golds, but I, I sucked. And I didn't have the uh, fortitude to keep retrying events that I failed, but I'm trying to platinum everything. I know I won't, I know I'll get to a point where I can't, but I think I'm through like the first series having platinum everything and there is some uh there are like some speed camera challenges there's one in particular right when you start the game uh in stockholm in uh i guess you'd want to use the focus rs because it's the fastest car in that category that damn, oh, yeah, that was tricky isn't it yeah yeah it took me and it's it's so much harder than even mo any of the speed camera events like in the next three or four series <laughs> that one took me probably an hour and a half to <laughs> and and it's it's a challenge that lasts all of like you know 12 seconds so you just keep doing it over and over and over again trying to take different lines and just just achieve this minimum uh, minimum speed but yeah yeah and, and I'm, I'm glad alex that you can speak to the aspect of playing this game online because uh i i wasn't able to get xbox live or play games online until I was well into my teenage years, so, um, you know, probably with PGR4 was actually the, the only one that I was ever really able to play online. Um, so yeah, it's getting out early in front with this kind of um, online multiplayer racing games back when many of them didn't have this feature uh, definitely contributes to, I think, a lot of people's fond memories of this game. Just like it does with, you know, the Halo 2, for example. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so, um, so from PGR 2, uh, we skip another two years, uh, again to another console launch, and this time it's the Xbox 360, and PGR 3 was one of the 360's, uh, launch titles. Um, you know how, like, like I said that PGR2 is my favorite, and I, I guess, like, objectively speaking, like, in terms of the amount of content it has and everything, it's, it's the one that, like, I feel like there's the most to do. But something about PGR3, um, I feel like that and Ridge Racer 5 are maybe the best system launch, or uh, racing game launch titles of all time. Uh, I think... PGR 3, to me, doesn't get enough credit. I, I think a lot of people have a problem with the fact that it doesn't have a ton of content compared to the last game or the next game. But, holy shit, it's beautiful. I mean, it still is. Like, even... Even playing it now, uh, you know, I've been, I've been playing that too at my parents' house, and, like, just... 
it reminded me of all of the ways in which the 360 felt like uh, a generational leap, even as like other launch titles felt like they were like HD versions of like shitty games you played on, on the old Xbox, like PGR3 with the interior view with the motion blur. Oh my God, it's it's still a gorgeous game. There's something about like the colors, um, the palette, like just the way like London looks. The, I, I don't know what it is, but like for me, this is like one of those like sort of unforgettable moments when, when you get a console for the first time and you play that game that's absolutely perfect for it that sort of validates your purchase. Like this was it for me. Yeah, it, it's definitely... In terms of the Project Golf and racing games, this is, I think I've said before, this is the the one with the most importance for me, purely because it's it's just such a well-realised game. I mean, it's pretty small in scope, you could argue, compared to the two. But, um, yeah, it's just it just nails that kind of racing atmosphere so well that it's, it's really hard not to be blown away by it. It was interesting, they took a slightly different approach from, from what you were saying about MSR brand where they had quite yeah. a, 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 a slow car park. I remember the policy for this one was the slowest car must be able to do more than 170 <laughs> miles an hour. And I think yeah. I think the, the, the starter car was like a, a TBR Cigaris or or, or or something. The slowest um, car in the game is a Testarossa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it? So, yeah, yeah, to give you some perspective. <laughs> Yeah, it had a very interesting car list too, because because you have some um, some exotic like kind of esoteric concept cars that like uh, two in particular, the Ford GT90 and the and the Ford yes, Indigo. I mean, definitely. for me, these were a big deal because the last time I got to drive either of these cars, I mean, the GT90 I think was in Sega GT, but Need for yeah. Speed Two. Uh, exactly. Need for Speed Two is one of my favorite games of all time. It's not a great game, but just the, the 10, eight or 10 cars or whatever it has are just like, it's perfect. Like, those cars are legendary and will be legendary for me for the rest of my life. Um, you're yeah. talking about the GT90, and that car was so otherworldly in the mid-90s. So the fact that they brought it back and put it in this game, I, I feel like, you know, it was a, uh, an intentional decision. Just because this game also had, I mean, it had the... CLK GTR, it had the McLaren F1. It, it was a very like 90s inspired list of like legendary supercars. Yeah. Um, some really rare choices like the F50 GT, which I didn't even know existed until I played this game. <laughs> the 2D8 GTO Evolutione, yeah. uh, which is another really weird one-off uh, Ferrari. Such a great car list. Um, and, and, you know, we, we were saying that in MSR the tracks were very tight. And so the slow cars weren't really much of an issue. In yeah. this game, you, you do have more room to stretch your legs, especially like if you're talking about New York, you have the uh, the Brooklyn Bridge tracks. Uh, we go across the Brooklyn Bridge and come back on the Manhattan Bridge, and uh, those straightaways are long. And so it's good that they ratcheted up the um, the level of speed of these cars uh, to kind of complement the track that they were designing. I think it's like yeah. what Alex was saying, like in terms of this is like the total uh, antithesis to, to MSR. And that's kind of why I like it, because with Project Golf and Racing up to this point, they, they did kind of want to prioritise those faster cars, but still kind of pay a bit of lip service to the slower cars. Whereas this one, it, like 
PGR3 is the best Need for Speed 2 sequel we've ever had. <laughs> That's the way it feels for me. It's just like... It's just, it goes all in on the concept of all fast cars, just the same way MSR went in on the concept of all kind of slower cars, and I love it just for that. You know, it lost the um, Porsche license, didn't it? They were back to uh, back to roofs, seems to yeah. remember. Yeah, but you had that you had that roof supercar concept, which has never been in any oh, other God, game yeah. ever. Um, it's <laughs> forgot about that. So I think it's Is basically that... a prototype for the CTR three. But... Is that the little tiny dinky one that's like based on a Cayman front? Well, a, a Boxster front end or something. It's like a tiny little thing. Yeah, it looks. I mean, it it looks like. I don't even know when they built that. I mean, I think that car is actually from like the 90s or something like that, because it's, if you try and look it up, there are very few photographs of it. So I don't even know like if they actually were able to see that car person to, to capture content around it. But um, I think it was like a prototype for a CTR3 or something. They wouldn't actually build that car for production for many years, but it's, it's really cool. I mean, there's nothing cooler to me than like, when I play a racing game and I'm introduced to a car I never knew existed, uh, you know, for me, as I get older, obviously it's harder and harder to do, but when I was young, you know, the NSX GT2, I was like, whoa, that's an NSX, but it's a race car. Um, you know, and the rough supercar concept is the, uh, is the same way. You also had those garages, uh, that you could uh, yeah. still store your cars in and kind of move, move cars between. Which was, for me, that was a lot like the whole showroom environment. Just the ability to kind of walk around these spaces and see these vehicles was beautiful. And of course, you know, as a launch title for a 360, it looked, it looked jaw-dropping. Yeah, because they weren't just garages, but they, I think you had several and they were like sun-kissed open, like be beautiful, um, like, like the sort of thing they then did for, uh, like certainly there's, there's something like that in Horizon 4, isn't there? Have the cars in this sort of beautiful setting, yeah. and they also leaned into, um, which we didn't mention for Gotham Two, Geometry Wars as well. I seem to remember. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. So this is which... where Geometry Wars really took off because it was introduced in PGR Two, but with Three, it was Retro Evolve, which was also, you know, that was a sequel. That was also an Xbox Live Arcade title, and that yep. was the biggest Xbox Live Arcade game for probably the first two years of the 360's existence, and it was so good. Yeah, it took on a life of its own. Yeah, I mean, Bizarre, it's funny that, like, to us, Bizarre is known because of of these games, but I think to most people who, who don't play racing games, I mean, if they even know the studio that made pro or that made Geometry <laughs> Wars, but, like, it's, yeah. hey, that Geometry Wars game, because that, that was it. It was, like, there was a time when the 360 came out where it was literally, like, you look and see what your friends were playing, it was either Geometry Wars or like or like Hexic HD, which like came with the system. Like, those those were like the two arcade games, and like Geometry yeah. Wars was so much fun. I remember trying to like beat my brother's you know high scores all the time. Really good game. Yeah. In my head, the conversation has the Microsoft executive coming to look at the latest milestone build of Gotham Three, and he's a. Uh, they're going, look at this, this, you know, bloom lighting, da, 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 and the guy's going, yeah, 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 yeah. But what's, what's that? <laughs> more, more of that, that. And I was like, oh, okay. Because I know that, it, I think it was just done by one, for Gotham too, it was done by one guy in his free time. Um, wow. Just, and, and they just thought, we can, we can fit that in the game. <laughs> and then, Why and not? ended up, just, yeah. It is funny when you go back and play PGR2 and you play the first Geometry Wars because it is so visually boring compared to <laughs> Retro Evolved, which is like, <laughs> Retro Evolved is gorgeous, and like, it, the particle effects and everything of when you like blow ships up and stuff is just 
still looks great. I was, I was yeah. playing it the other day, but um, yeah, I mean, PGR three is just like it's it's just a beautiful game that's like very tempered and you know, in the way a lot of games when the new console comes out are, it you know they they couldn't spend as much time creating the same. Uh, breadth of content, uh, you know, just like a four to five, for example, or Gran Turismo three. So they had to really hone in on the detail of the content that was there. Um, for me, the interior view was a big deal and does not get enough credit because before PGR three, uh, interior views were very rare in racing games or non-existent. Honestly, PGR three was the one that started that. And uh, for me personally, New York being in this game is a big deal. It was in PGR two. But, or sorry, PGR one, but it, you know, back then it, I, I, I would remember like I would I would drive around New York a lot in PGR one, but I was a I was a little kid, so um, I couldn't really recognize certain areas of the city all that well. Um, but PGR three, I mean, even then as I got older, I still wasn't that familiar. But when I look back at it now, because I've been you know I've spent the last three years of my life. First, I was working in New York. Now I'm living in Brooklyn, so I am familiar with these areas now, and it's it's really cool. Like it's really cool to be able to drive around these places because um, they render you know parts of Brooklyn, uh, parts of kind of uh, you know downtown Brooklyn, and also Manhattan. You have like the Chinatown area and two bridges and stuff. And like I, yeah, I mean now now it's all second nature to me. So to drive around those places feels really special. It's also really weird because as I'm playing the game, I have to remind myself to like, yeah, this was how those areas looked 15 years ago. Which, they haven't <laughs> yeah. changed that much, but even then I have to remind myself that like, even this representation of, of where I live is outdated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think um, just being able to drive around any area that even is named after a place that you can associate um, especially in that older generation where uh, there was so much fictional content whenever that push came and the kind of with PGR2 first and then obviously PGR3 um, the, the ability to recreate places was insane because one of the things I loved as well it's not about Project Gotham but like on Gran Turismo uh, 4 they really done such a good job of recreating like uh, New York and places like that and it was just phenomenal to drive in and uh, PGR especially, it just made everywhere feel as if like, I'd like to go to that place, I want to go to that place <laughs> so when you get the chance to go when you're older you've got that level of appreciation and it's funnily enough one of the reasons that I was a bit sad that we never got to Edinburgh Adam, because you could have <laughs> seen the, the PGR2 track <laughs> Yeah, the funny thing is um, like I, I remember bits and pieces like from when I played PGR2 when I was a kid and like I think I remember like the SUV series in particular had a lot of races in Edinburgh because the, the, the one downside of PGR2 is that there are so many locations and tracks in the game that while they do make an impression you remember the differences between them you don't spend as much time in each of them so you don't feel like you still don't get to know them as well as you do in PGR3 for example where you have um, you know, four areas, uh, or five areas rather. And, um, yeah, it's like, I know, I know Las Vegas, like the back of my hand from PGR three. And it's funny because like now I go there for CES and I was, uh, before, you know, the world ended, uh, this year <laughs> in January, I, I went for CES <laughs> and every time I go now, I see like, Oh, that's the entrance of Mirage. And yeah, you could like drive up 
through the entrance to the Mirage in PGR3. A lot of tracks kind of had that location or that, that area uh, as part of them. And uh, I'll never forget when I discovered the Sega Gameworks uh, on the strip, which yeah. does not exist anymore, which is very sad. Uh, and when I made it to Vegas for the first time two years ago, uh, I was sad that there was no longer Gameworks Arcade there. But I would drive past that and take, take photos there um, in PGR3 and just marvel at like, oh, I'd love to go to a Gameworks one day, but I never made it. And, and also too, that reminds me, this, this was probably the first racing game that really had like a dedicated photo mode, right? Well, I mean, well, GT4, but like this was like, yeah, yeah. I feel like this is the first one that I saw like people like sharing, sharing shots of it. Yeah, I think you're right there to be honest. It would be round about that time period that probably just pipped GT4 to the post. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, GT4 was the first to do it, but I think, um, yeah. I think with the internet and stuff coming on, and uh, I don't think there was a mechanism for you to share those shots in PGR3. But I just remember it was a big part of the game, and it was also like, you know, Gran Turismo always had an amazing photo mode, but PGRs, the the ones in PGR and Forza are a little bit easier to understand uh, for for a layperson, so that probably helped as well. I think it also fueled the fire at that point about the the extremely valuable uh, debate about whether 360 or PS3 was going to be the superior machine. So I remember um, just shots of, of the, uh, you know, the, the, the McLaren F1 LM they had in that game, you know, the bright orange one, just showing, because it, obviously it was, the, it was the first generation of like HD capable consoles as well, and just showing these high resolution images with, with the, the, just the sickest reflections uh, that, that, that I'd ever seen. Just all these beautiful pictures coming out. It was, uh, it was fantastic. Yeah, and, and the way that generation kind of unfolded, the, the 360 delivered these like really pretty games off the bat, whereas the PS3's architecture was so complicated um, that that kind of didn't, that moment didn't happen for the PS3 until a couple years into its cycle. Um, and only then did you start seeing really amazing games that could like push the boundaries for that system. Uh, as a quick aside, it's really funny because a couple of weeks ago they um, Sony kind of had that deep dive into the PS5, and uh, Mark Cerny just standing up there, just constant, constantly like shitting on the PS3 for being hard to develop for <laughs> and really complicated and needlessly expensive. And I just like how every every couple of years it seems like someone from Sony will just kind of just rag on that console. I mean, Kaz did it himself because anytime he talks about like yeah. You know, GT3 and GT4 look amazing because we're able to do all these like crazy effects, but like it didn't really pan out that way for GT5, unfortunately. That's why it took us <laughs> so long to make that game. The weather effects were nice. <laughs> well, I remember he was waxing lyrical about the um, the audio capabilities of the PS3, wasn't he? He was, he was basically yeah. saying it's it's unsurpassed even now as like a a wonderful audio machine in terms it's of his audio very... chip. It's a very Sony thing to make a system that's like really, really well built for audio and deficient in other areas <laughs> that people care more about. Yeah. Yeah, it's a Sony way.
yeah so now i guess we should we should uh you know end end the pgr discussion by moving on to the final game uh which is pgr4 um again came out two years later they they really i have to hand it to bizarre i never really realized until now but they had this really amazing track record and clip of delivering these games like every two years that were massively different from each other like one of my issues with forza is always that like i feel like if you if you played one forza title you can pretty much wait three or four iterations until playing the other the next one because they never change like the yeah. changes between them are very very slight whereas pgr just felt so different from from release to release and uh you know i think alex you said that objectively speaking this is the best in the franchise i i'd agree with that um and I think, I think it's really a mark of a great series that each one after it improves in some, some you know, really, like, obvious, quantifiable way. Uh, with PGR 1, obviously, you had that generational leap from the Dreamcast. With PGR 2, you had all this content. PGR 3 had all this detail. And PGR 4 now brings things like bikes, uh, weather effects, and really good weather effects for the time, too. It has to be yeah, and all these really cool game modes that um, uh, were a lot of fun. I remember playing British Bulldogs was so much fun uh, in PGR4 Online. So yeah, this game really had it all, and it's it also makes it bittersweet to return to because it, it makes you wonder if the series kept going, what would have happened next. Yeah, absolutely. I, th I think the only thing maybe it doesn't have that's superior to two, which is, is my favorite, is. I think, as we discussed before, the, the tracks maybe aren't as aren't as memorable. I think they, they they did a really good job again of picking quite varied locations, places you wouldn't immediately think, oh, I'll go go there for some for some for some tracks. But I think maybe the tracks weren't weren't quite as memorable. But but the handling, I thought they did something really clever with the handling because the, the handling model in two was I I think fantastic. It was quite heavy. They made it a bit lighter and a bit twitchier for for three. And then for four, it's almost like they went back and, and found a middle ground between the two. And I think handling-wise, it's one of the sweetest handling simcade or, or just ra otherwise racing games um, that was ever made. And it was just uh, absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, th three gets really twitchy, and I think a lot of people kind of have an issue with that. I, when I played three at the time, I remember like really, really kind of. Click it clicking with me and I loved it but now when I go back and, and I've been playing 2, 3, and 4 specifically uh, most recently um, yeah, 2 is very heavy and not actually fun in a lot of cars I've learned like some cars is just like ugh, like it's just the especially like the early front wheel drive cars it's just kind of a slog because they're so heavy um, then there's 3 obviously and 4, I think 4 does this thing where like it, it introduces this sort of understeer but it's not like i guess the cars in two did understeer but the ones w w when when you're driving a car that maybe doesn't have a lot of like isn't rear wheel drive or has a lot of power or something like that in four it's not it's not a an unpleasurable experience um like for example like uh driving the uh integrale uh in four it that's not a car that you can really like kick the back out um it just it just grips and grips and grips and I, I guess what i'm trying to say is that like um 
basically you couldn't have any fun with a car in PGR 2 or 3 unless it was something you could like drift and just do ridiculous things in. But 4 kind of finds finds a dimension in which you can enjoy driving a car and, and that's not just by collecting all this kudos from do, doing all this like crazy oversteer, you know, maneuvers. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's the the physics model, but also the, the, the car selection sort of going hand in hand. Because again, they, they kept up their their thing of, of, of obviously having a lot of the obvious cars that people are going to want yeah. to play, but also just some really interesting choices. Like, you know, um, remember there were, there were things like Ford Sierra, which were, which were quite sweet to drive. And also the Alpha SZ nickname Monstro, which, which were in, in the slower classes. There were lots of really interesting cars in that game. And I think, wasn't there like, a, there was an old Ferrari or Maserati birdcage F1 car, like a crazy old, like 50s F1 car. Oh, yeah. So I that just yeah, I just did this event. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it really sticks in my mind because, so one, one of the earliest events in the game, I mean, it's kind of amazing how early they throw this at you, but it is a Maserati 250F on the Nordschleife, in the snow, yes. it's a time oh, yeah. trial. <laughs> and I guess, I guess the thinking is like, because of the way that PGR4's um, career is set up, if you fail an event, it's kind of this calendar system, so you can return to it at a later time. Uh, I decided I was going to platinum this out of the gate. Uh, it wasn't the hardest thing in the world. I won't, driving that car in the snow is not that much fun. It's, it's very, wobbly uh, as you'd expect an old f1 car to be even in pgr even even with a more forgiving kind of simcade handling model it's still not still not that much fun to drive a car like that in the snow but uh it's yeah. it's it's tough to, to to platinum that one it's um <laughs> well it's because you're not really driving a car at that point you know 50s you're basically it's like driving a hovercraft effectively oh yeah yeah no if you can it's it's that classic uh what jeremy clarkson said about hovercrafts where it's like if you can see a physical obstruction you're already going to hit it. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's predetermined, but yeah, no, really, really interesting car selection. This game, I think, I think my only issue with it is it's it does feel a bit slow for a little while. I'm I'm playing through the game now, and I don't know, I've probably put about like two hours into it, and I'm, I still haven't gotten to a point where I'm driving cars that are fun. Like, I, well, I mean, they're fun, but like they are as fast as I want them to be for some of these tracks. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, I, th I think the reason I never, because I, I, I liked this, and I think the reason I don't prefer it to two is purely because two came at a point where it was new and exciting to play online, and I got the opportunity to play it solid, yeah. like hammer and tongs. And unfortunately, it happened with three as well. When they was coming out, I was like, great, I'm going to get these online. And it's one of the very few games that I was actually good at, so I was looking forward to playing them online. And four came out just when I'd moved to Tokyo for a year, and oh, the student accommodation I was living—I don't know, boohoo! But the, the, the student accommodation I was living in did not allow for online gaming. So the game came in the post. My mum sent it with a tub of Nutella or something to an, an HP source to help me survive, and I just wasn't able to get online with it, and I was absolutely devastated. I think that. And that, that was a lot of what made me fall in love with 2. Um, and to your point about how you find the tracks in 3 more memorable than 2, I guess in the other way, but that's because I've, you know, played the campaign mode for 2 and then about 10,000 races online where you, you 
people learn the tracks like the back of your hand but i never really did that with three or four um and that felt like a really missed opportunity and i got online when i got back from japan and by that point the online community for gotham 4 was just dead it unfortunately hit this time where i think i think we started to get to this point of diminishing returns for a lot of racing games and um it's a shame because four four has so much going for it but yeah i think at that point um without the noise and the the fanfare of a new console to promote and sort of serve as that like proof proof of uh you know test demo not test demo but like proving a proving ground for a console um pgr4 at that time in the late 2000s really wasn't didn't have that mass appeal um and of course given what would happen to bazaar or given given that bazaar would kind of leave microsoft's graces um it didn't have any sort of it didn't get to live a second life in terms of like dlc uh and post-release yeah. content in the way that three had a lot of uh a lot of great cars as DLC. Two had some car packs and those two city packs as well with uh, Long Beach and Paris. Four never got anything like that, which is um, a real shame. Yeah, I think um, at this point in time, PGR four probably could have benefited from a, a bit more content as well. But it was just the clearly it got to the point where Bizarre were, were on the way out, unfortunately, in terms of their involvement with Microsoft. So. Um, I think at the time as well, because of what was releasing around Project Gotham, that's where Microsoft's eye may have been turned to other racing series that it was involved in, trying to expand that. Obviously, Forza Motorsport. There, there was a point in like sort of the late two thousands where, um, I think we're starting to see it shift back a little bit. Yeah. But where where simulators were, were exactly. where everybody wanted to be, and so Forza Three, I remember, was a really big deal, and that came out two years after this this game did. Um, now, now I think with Horizon and stuff, I think Sims obviously are still <laughs> they're still a very big deal. But uh, I think in terms of of a market sort of like for an accessible arcade racing game, um, it just wasn't there in in the late two thousands. I mean, you know, it's, this game is I, I feel like I say on every episode of Time Extend almost. I, I remember PGR four uh, is very closely tied to me with Sega Rally Revo because they came out like a week yeah. a week apart from each other or something like that. Wow! And uh, <laughs> and I remember getting both and you know, uh, like a month after Revo came out, the Sega Racing Studio was no more. And, um, yeah, and then like right after PGR four, uh, I think they actually did release one one car pack for PGR four. But very shortly after, uh, Bizarre packed up and went to Activision, where we know that they uh, survived a long and, and very successful life. Um, of course. <laughs> and Brendan, you're an expert with that, so I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. let you expound upon that. So obviously, um, the PGR dream comes to an end. Uh, on a good note, PGR 4 is a great game. Um, but it didn't quite get the love it deserved. So... Bizarre Creation ended up partnering with Activision, which uh, can go in one of two directions, let's be honest. <laughs> Fantastic success, all the backing, or it can go the other way and uh, your ambitious game plans and ambitious uh, game ideas don't quite sell so well, then Activision uh, have to reconsider uh, you as part of one of their studios. So Bizarre Creation's um, 
came up with Blur. And we've talked about this one of the previous episodes. I'll try and remember what episode it is. Um, where we talk about, basically, Bizarre Creations and Activision's relationship, which is very much of the mindset these guys can create the racing version of Call of Duty. They can tap into that online nature of gameplay. They can really get people on board. This can be a huge hit. Um, there was something like £40 million pounds or something riding on its success in terms of investment in the bizarre. Funny enough, it's a very bizarre situation. <laughs> Basically, hey. Act- hey. <laughs> Activision are really keen on Blur. And they are up to a certain point. Um... But what happens basically is when Bizarre Creations were initially creating Blur, they wanted this like semi-ambitious like uh, single-player component to be merged with a very socially driven multiplayer component. So that both sides were going to eventually meet um, and then uh, create a full experience that was not only good from a single-player perspective, but also led on to what would happen in the multiplayer component. Unfortunately, uh, Activision, for whatever reason, don't seem keen on that idea anymore. So basically pull the plug on the single player campaign stuff despite the fact all the characters had been made uh, they'd already decided the career structure all of that kind of gets thrown in the bin and uh, Activision are just like focus on the multiplayer component just put together a, a single player campaign as well so yeah Blur comes out and people like it I mean uh, Alex I think you've talked we've talked about this before I mean you you were kind of let down by it from a kind of gameplay perspective weren't you with Blur if I remember um yeah, I, I guess also part of it was because I loved Gotham so much. The fact that it wasn't Gotham Five, just you know, the the, the lizard part of my brain was like, it's not Gotham," 5, and I was just annoyed. But I think also, as we discussed before, that they 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 tried something different with the handling, just because it's a different kind of game, and it it kind of made sense what they were trying to do with the handling. I guess I just didn't love it. I played the beta quite a lot to to, to try and. Almost like to try and convince myself to, to yeah. love it, just because it was a bizarre creations racer. And, um, but I think I would probably have put a lot more time into it if it hadn't have launched within spitting distance of another ill fate. Yeah, <laughs> another two <laughs> modation racers as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, but, but the split second completely got under my skin. That was, I mean, yeah, I mean, if if ever you have an episode where you're going to talk about that let me back because because that game of course absolutely did me but um yeah no i i liked blur i just didn't love it yeah Um, yeah and i think as well what you were saying about those games releasing so closely i i've always been of the mindset you're either a a blur person a a split second person or funnily enough a mod nation racers person in terms of like (laughs) where your race again allegiances lie probably ties into the bombastic in your face uh, split second arcade racer the cool understated but wanting to be a little bit try hard of blur or the pure kart racer aesthetic of Mod Nation Racers. So the fact that all three of these games released within such a confined window was just an absolute disaster, really, in retrospect. And, um, yeah, I think people just kind of decided what of those three games they wanted to play um, and dedicated more time to whatever title that was. So eventually that caught up with all three of them and disaster struck. But for Bizarre Creations and Blur... um, things got bad really quickly because 
it didn't do too well at all, Blur. This is why it's interesting, because I've always theorised that it's because those three games released in quite close proximity, which probably factors in. But the yeah, extent of how much these games bombed is pretty incredible when you look it up. I mean, maybe the the landscape for racing games probably at that point was you know, notably people weren't as hungry for racing it unless it was like a yeah. Gran or whatever. But but also you must just imagine that the once they got wind of the fact that Split Second and, and Modern Nation were coming out, that the, the the bizarre guys must have just had their head in their hands going when can we launch this? And, yeah. and you know, just imagining either Activision saying, "No, no, 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 we'll 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 stamp on." Them. I mean, you, you, you don't know, but they they must have had so many conversations. Like, definitely, oh, no. what do we do? <laughs> yeah. Having you know, ha- having seen how how that sort of thing can play, it's is just an absolute nightmare situation when you because because game dev is like. You know, it's, it's like turning a tanker, right? You, the, the, any decision has had its roots set months and months and yeah. months ago, and also with an eye as to what's going to happen months and months in the future in terms of you know how how the game is going to sell over different financial years and so on and so on. It's just an absolute nightmare scenario when suddenly you find you're launching in a crowd of three for, <laughs> for what is frankly, you know, there hasn't been a game like this really for for what seems like a meaningful length of time, and then suddenly. Yeah. It's like it's really coming out. And then it's compounded by the fact that two weeks later Red Dead Redemption's dropping as well. So even from a a general game population type point of view, nobody is going to be dropping 40 or 50 pounds on Blur when Red Dead Redemption is that close. Oh yeah, absolutely. Blur had already been delayed twice up to that point. So it really feels as if uh, when you combine all that together, you can see why it wasn't a great situation. And as you would expect... The resulting end, what happens here is basically uh, Bizarre become a support studio for Activision for a bit. They do a licensed um, James Bond game. I can't remember, was it Quantum of Solace? No, I think it's Bloodstone. Oh, Bloodstone, that's the one, yeah. They did the driving segments of uh, Quantum of Solace, that's it. Yeah, so they they did Bloodstone as well. Um, And yeah, they just kind of fade away for a bit and then the, the news we expect to happen breaks and uh, bizarre oh, and don't forget the club oh god the club by Sega yeah. just oh wow yeah <laughs> I totally forgot about the club yep everybody Jeez. forgets about the club <laughs> I, just, I can't even remember what that game was about <laughs> it's 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 like a progenitor to um Bulletstorm where you run around um killing people for sport basically as stylishly as possible for kudos points <laughs> <laughs> always had an eye for style oh so. man I totally forgot about the club wow I mean that is honestly like that is a game that totally disappeared from my psyche when you said that there Alex it was like oh my god the club yeah I, I think yeah. The, thing I, the thing I want to stress here too Brendan is that this is when Activision was at their most Activision. Like, this was yeah. when <laughs> every two months you'd hear, like, yeah, they closed the studio that made this Spider-Man game, or they closed the studio that made this Tony Hawk game, or they closed the studio... Like, it was it was happening left and right. This was, like, 
Bobby, when everybody knew who knew Bobby Kovic's name and like when yeah. things were really bad at Activision, NDA, I mean, they were great in terms of they were making lots of money, but they were bad for anyone who worked for them and for the industry. Um, I think since then we've seen Activision kind of fade into the background a little bit and let EA kind of rise to the place of being the most awful uh, game publisher. <laughs> but um, but yeah, these these were really rough times. I think it's something it's something that we all feared as yeah, soon as yeah. we heard that Bizarre was going to Activision. Uh, something that we all feared again with uh, the whole situation with. Um, with Bungie playing out uh, with with Destiny and working with Activision, and they yeah. somehow were able to get out of that and save themselves uh, and their and what they created, which is um, a, a miracle, honestly. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I I think to bring it back to Blur, um, for me, I, I it's funny that you say you you were one of those three people playing one of those three games because. I didn't like Split Second because it seemed like the Transformers of racing games. I, I know that it was probably like a good game and I played a little bit of it and there were aspects. It was very like very visually impressive, but honestly seemed like, yeah, you ever wanted like a racing game designed by Michael Bay? And I was like, no, that doesn't sound appealing to me at all. So I, I skipped that one. Uh, Blur, I ended up skipping for the most part because it was all multiplayer focused and like, Unless you had friends that were going to play it, what was the point? So, like, I, I remember I had Gamefly for a short time, and I rented it. Yeah. I had some friends over, we did split screen, and that was so much fun. But otherwise, I, I never owned the game, so I'm partially to blame for its failure. <laughs> uh, and I, I did own Mod Nation Racers, just purely off the back of its amazing uh, uh, track creator, track editor feature. But I, I think with Blur... It was okay that the physics were kind of less lively and intuitive than the PGR titles because it had the weapons, you know, and it had like, it's, it's honestly why I say about um, Mario Kart that no one agrees with me on is that like Mario Kart is able to get by being a really boring racing game because it has the weapons uh, and people don't, people don't kind of concentrate on that enough I'm, I'm already hearing the response okay um but, <laughs> but i think i think blur i think blur is kind of a similar way like it's like i don't know like it's not that much fun to actually play the fun is in playing like on your own it's the fun or or controlling the cars you know the fun is with playing with your friends flinging flinging things at each other and uh just having those those classic kart racer moments uh where you get blue yeah. shelled i mean of course who who can remember any of the weapons in Blur? <laughs> no, I, I think that that kind of highlights it well, and it kind of ties in with what uh, Martin Chudley, former managing director, said. So this is just a, a Game Radar article I remembered there. Um, he describes the Blur development process after Activision decided they were going to try and take control. He basically says they weren't an independent studio making their games anymore. We were making games to fill slots and fill demographics. Although we did believe in what we were actually making, they were just more of a product of the committees and analysts as opposed to ourselves. The culture we'd worked on for so long and built up through MSR and PGR gradually eroded, and eventually uh, we were just working on something that wasn't ours anymore. And I mean, that, that's just sad in itself, hearing a statement like that. And then it's, it's further backed up by uh, Sarah Chudley, who also worked at Bazaar, saying... 
it's a very telling thing that in the final few weeks at the the uh, the studio, many people were saying that they would never work anywhere like Bizarre again. <laughs> I mean that that is literally literally the worst case scenario. Yeah, although it would sound like the Chudleys also forgot about the club, because I guarantee <laughs> them, there wasn't any market research or Venn diagram or any industry profiling that said, yes, the club, that's what, that's what we need. That's what we'll do, guys. So I like to think that was one final flourishing brushstroke of, of kudos-based madness that they, that they managed to uh, deliver. It's wild because um, even they were saying about how Blur came to be and the, the committee, like the committee thinking, basically. Um, she describes it as saying like they basically said kids like Mario Kart, but they like Gran Turismo as well. So we'll make Mario Kart with real cars. At that point, they were like, yeah, I mean that that kind of makes sense. That's fine. But then uh, Activision would keep coming back and be like, well, kids also like Facebook and social platforms nowadays and nightclubs. So make your uh, interface neon and add some more friend interaction. At that point, they would have been like, yeah, it's doable. But then apparently from there it just kept snowballing and that's where the whole weird Call of Duty comparison thing that they decided to go with came in, where they were constantly being asked to make a perk-based, prestige-based uh, multiplayer system. Oh, and then... I'm surprised <laughs> they didn't get more uh, rock band uh, elements in there, actually. <laughs> exactly. Just throwing in absolutely everything, like peripherals and all sorts. <laughs> you know, hearing this, about, hearing this about Blur and trying to put myself back in the mindset when it came out, um, I think it had a little bit, not to the same degree that Onrush did, but it had a little bit of the Onrush problem. Yeah, no yeah. didn't know what it was. Like, <laughs> okay, you can, Mario Kart with real cars, that makes enough sense, right? But then you throw in like the social stuff and the perks and the this and the that, and it's just like, I don't even know what I'm playing anymore. Like, I don't even know what to expect. Like, is this going to be PGR with weapons? Is it going to control more simplistically? Is it going to like, you just didn't know. And I, I think... Yeah. We, we've seen now uh, another video has popped up of Blur 2. Um, yes. Yes, of, yeah. a, of a Blur 2, because I guess they, they did very, very rudimentary early work on that game, and I guess a alpha or pre-alpha or whatever has surfaced. And um, you can see that the environments in Blur 2, the stuff they were thinking of doing, I mean, they were, they were going, going a bit more outlandish. Yeah. They, they were going more outlandish. They were going to something that was more fantasy. I mean, you, you yeah, have these tracks yeah. where you're driving on the sides of buildings, <laughs> you have tracks with like loops and things. Like yeah. it was honestly like a mix of um <laughs> it was a mix of blur and like wipeout because you were yeah. it's very anti grav <laughs> for for actually having cars in it. it. It kind of highlights what we're seeing here in the sense that I, I wouldn't object to that type of direction to go in, but at the same time I think, based on as well the comments I've seen people talking about that video, it kind of goes against the grain of what a lot of people who did like Blur liked about it by going down that route, because you're kind of ebbing away at that kind of semi-realistic kind of kart racer thing they had in place. Um, it's a natural progression for me personally, and I, I love anti-gravity racers, so I wouldn't care, but I, I think it does highlight that idea of where, where do we go from here, and it wasn't to try and, like, bring more PGR type elements into it, it was actually like push it as far away from that as possible and maybe that's where it would have ultimately not kind of got its audience. Yeah, yeah, and, and of course, you know, we'll never know and 
people like to say that there are aspects of PGR that kind of live on other games, uh, particularly Forza Horizon, but I don't know. I mean, Forza Horizon doesn't... It just, it just does not um, hit those same parts of my brain that PGR hit. Yeah. Uh, Drive Club is, I think, the closest comparison. I'd say so. And, and a yeah. good one. And, you know, Drive Club feels like PGR and kind of more, like, moved outside the city. Um, especially when they brought bikes into it, too, and, and with the weather effects. Uh, so, yeah, anyone looking for a spiritual successor of those games who ne has never picked up Drive Club should pick up Drive Club. Um, Although that will be a lot more difficult nowadays, funnily enough, <laughs> given well, this week. That's true, but that, that is true. You, you can't get it. Yeah, as of this week, you cannot get it on the PlayStation Network anymore. But the base game, um, if you if you got a disc of it, uh, unfortunately, I guess you couldn't get the DLC. But <sighs> bloody hell, you man, could that's get, wild to me. You could get all of the updates, though, right? So yeah, true. Yeah. But I'll uh, right, I'd I better go on eBay and get a discount. I've never actually played Drive Club, and I've always seen it billed as, you know, Gotham, but not Gotham. Because I, I agree that the Horizon games never really did it for me in terms of delivering what Gotham did. Um, but I've never actually played it, because uh, I st still haven't got a PS4. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I, have, I have started yeah. amassing a collection of games to play on it, Um just haven't got the machine yet, so I might go ahead and uh, pick up a copy of Drive Club because I was always curious to uh, to give it a spin. Actually, you know what, Brendan? I'm trying to remember. Were the extra tracks DLC like Japan? And uh, no, they're they're like free updates. So technically speaking, okay. I imagine okay. you'll still be able to get those, but all the events yeah. that are tied to those will the, be considered DLC. Ah, uh, the cars. So, yeah. so yeah. I mean, at, at the very least, you could, you know, like experience Japan and like some of the environments and stuff they add to yeah. the game, which which are great. But yeah, the, yeah. The, and you're missing out with you're missing out a lot yeah. of good cars because Drive Club. I was going to say amazing DLC cars. I think the game is also a grower in the sense that the more you play it, the more events you do, you get more into it. Whereas the base game itself, like, I, I'm not sure, I, I I, don't think I was that satisfied when I finished the base game, so it really does hurt it, unfortunately. That and you a can't lot go of that online, content is gone. and you can't do yeah. challenges against your friends. So, so yeah, maybe maybe don't play Drive Club, I don't know. Sony have <laughs> properly kneecapped it. Yeah, right, this, I mean, this last five minutes has been an emotional rollercoaster for me. But, uh, yeah. Okay. Well, go back in time, download it, and, uh, yeah. That, so, I mean, it. when did it when did it stop being available? Is this something I've missed by like twelve hours? Tuesday, I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> but we were gonna do this a week on. Uh, uh, well, look, I maybe know. maybe I can give you like my my PlayStation account and uh, ah yeah yeah, yeah and you point. can download all stuff that way because as long as you purchased it uh, right, you can download it. So. Uh, yeah, you should be able to. Um, <laughs> it's okay. I'll, I'll be alright. I'll be okay. It's a shame, and Drive Club is such a. Such yeah. Uh, yes. One of the things I was going to say actually just because Horizon came up is I think I've said this a few times I'd love to know what it is about it that just doesn't work like as in I always want I always want to like Forza Horizon a lot but when it comes to actually playing it I just find myself getting bored and it's, it's strange because Adam you seem to be the same Alex I don't know how you feel like is Forza Horizon really grabbed you or is it just kind of uh... there no, I wanted it to. 
Yeah, exactly. I'm, yeah. I'm going to be very careful not to come across as being a hateful person because I'm not. <laughs> but but her, her, no, Horizon never really um, did it for me. And I, I, I think part of it is I don't care for games with all of the the, the sort of wrapping it in a festival and you're putting a show on for the fans <laughs> and all the story things. I, I don't want that. I don't want to c- commute to events. Um, I, I did buy Horizon 3. So I just got to get one and, and, and try it. But I, I think with a game like that, the, 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 the sort of the approach with the Gotham games, I thought was that the, the tracks are great. Whereas a lot of the tracks in the Horizon games, it feels like you're just sort of, you're driving down a, down a road and you sort of steer and left to right a little bit. It doesn't, doesn't feel like you're, you're as involved as if you're driving a real truck, you know? Yeah. Um, a lot of it, you just feel like you're sort of guiding the car from left to right as you wander through the, the country. They, they are really cool and really impressive. It's just, it's not what I was after. Yeah. It, it took I me think, a lot yeah. of time to figure out what it is about Horizon that doesn't work for me, and it's a couple of things. It's the shameless giving you crazy rewards for doing <laughs> the most meaningful, least impressive things. Uh, it's that. It's the fact that when you open up the map, you see 8 million events and you're not really ever sure what you should do. And if you if you do one of those events in a series, then like you'll keep going back to that event and it'll treat you as if you remember that you're in the middle of a championship or something in like the cross-country series or whatever it's like i don't know like 40 things have happened between now and the last time i did this race like i have no idea where the hell i am um yeah it's it's especially it's a lot of the game design is just rewarding you for for doing nothing is is something i can't stand and the physics are built i think i've just accepted at this point i will never enjoy the forza physics engine because yeah whether it's motorsport or horizon i feel like these games the just the the physics are designed in such a way where they lead you to believe that like I can I don't know I can take this corner too fast or I can drift or I can and then you start to do it and then like you're off the road like it's it's very it's weird how all the things leading up to a point where you lose control seem to instill this confidence in you and then you get to that point and it's like well I'm off or I spun or like it's just it's just something weird about the way those games handle, where, like, I don't have that problem with Gran Turismo. Hell, I don't have yeah. that problem with Need for Speed Heat, and Need for Speed Heat isn't a great handling game. <laughs> but something something about Forza Horizon is, like, I'm I'm led to believe I can do these things with a car that I, I can't. And it's just... And in a game like that, like, in Motorsport, it's like, okay, you know, I want to be more careful. I want to be... This is a sim racer, sensibly speaking. But in Horizon, it's like... Why are you punishing me for trying to have fun? <laughs> like, yeah. half the tracks in Horizon are just like, you know, it's those cross-country races where you're, you're bounding across hills and jumping off cliffs and shit. And then when you do that and you land the wrong way, you spin. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I was going to say, actually, you're right. Half, half the tracks in Horizon actually are irrelevant because you watch any... Yeah, they are. You know, yeah. I watch, like, Super GT's videos, whatever, and you'll be doing these races, and it's like, basically, if you're in a Ford Raptor, he'll just he'll just drive as the crow flies, just barreling through walls. <laughs> and it's just a tree-dodging simulator. It's like, well, I, I guess not... I get people who love to have... They always brand it, you know, if you want to have fun, fun with cars, just yeah. for your love of cars, it's like, yeah, uh, fair enough. Um... But I, I, I guess I'm just, I, I like everybody to have to go the same way yeah. around the same corners and not not diving through the little smoke pillars where you can get bumped off and get missed and, and get, you know, shoved off and have to get rewound because somebody bumped you off. It, it, it's, it's, it's just a different, 
uh, a di different type of thing, I guess. And you're right about the Assassin's Creed approach to the map. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. I've always said, like, the biggest issue I have is, like, I can only sum up by saying I just don't care when I'm playing it, if that <laughs> makes sense. Like, it's just one of those things where everything's just so inconsequential and irrelevant feeling. It's just, like... There is no con. There's no consequence to whatever I do here. So like, I just I just drive. And the thing is, I I, I have actually completed like every Horizon game that from for my sins. But like, it's just there's there's never a moment where I say, oh, that was cool. And the only time I would say something like that is when it's a very scripted like showcase event or something where that is the point. But I've never actually recalled a great race I've had in Horizon or anything like that. And I think to tie it back into the overall arc of the episode, which is well in the distance at this point <laughs> Project Gotham was just so good at kind of making you say this is what you need to achieve, this is how you'll achieve it, uh, these are the type of cars that you've got at your disposal whereas I guess like Xbox as a brand of Microsoft more so nowadays um, that that is the root of DC racing and that's why like the motorsport series for example is a bit on a hiatus at the moment because they're just like what do we do with this whereas Horizon's just getting all the pushes because they can just be like here's this massive expansive universe with so many cars and so many tracks and quotation marks um, just go do things and I think like Project Gotham is quite the opposite because it's, it's always very guided and very fun to play I mean it's focused the, the fact that you know Bizarre made, in a lot of cases, they made these small open worlds within these cities. But very rarely did they actually use them. Like, in PGR4, yeah. for example, like, if you did, like, a British Bulldogs, like, a, a tag event or something like that online, you were playing with your friends, like, that would use, like, the open world that they created in, say, like, St. Petersburg or something like that, right? But, like, in most of the game, you would never encounter that. Like, they were closed tracks. And... I think it's just smarter game design. I just, I've never been one of those people who gets any enjoyment from like, we gave you this big sandbox, go nuts. It's like, even within that sandbox, you need some sort of direction. And that's, that has always been my, my issue with Horizon. I mean, what, what's that, that series of events in Horizon 4? It's like the pro racer that that girl who's like into video games or something. Oh yeah, like yeah. I can't uh, remember her name. But basically, they have all these events that are um, heavily inspired. I mean, I wouldn't even... They, they literally lift, like, the names of other games. So, like, it's a string of those, like, fake Horizon challenges where, like, nothing's actually happening, but they're leaving you to think that, like, you're trying to finish an event by a certain time or something. One of them's, like, say, a rally race, and, and you hear this, like, streamer kind of person you're told is an influencer, I guess, uh, kind of over the radio be like... Yeah, this rally race reminds me of Sega Rally. Game over. And it's like, <laughs> what? And it's like nothing, nothing that you're experiencing is like directly relatable to that game. But there's this like feeling that Horizon really wants to be like a part of that conversation or a part of that lineage. And it just isn't. It just falls flat. Like, I think there's a part where you're going by, there's one of those events is by like the castle in Edinburgh. And, um, they, they mentioned PGR. There's another one that's like Outrun and you're in like a Tessarosa. But again, it's not, it's fake. Like it's all, it's it's window dressing. It's just ready player one. The right, game. yeah. <laughs> Pretty much it is ready player one for racing games. It's Alex, you, if you Did you understand that it? reference? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, but Brend, you're you're right about it. It feels like you're not achieving it. I mean, I mean, they, they've they've tried to go for. Um, it's, it's like they're trying to be a really bombastic racing game version of Bob Ross. And by the way, I do, I do like Bob Ross. But it's, it, um, uh, you say like, you know, go ahead and, uh, you know, draw a little tree, happy little tree. And if you, you don't want to get, you don't want to use too much brown, because I'd be wrong. But if you do, it's okay. It's, uh, it's like, like Horizon does it. It's like, okay, go and do this. You didn't do that at all, but you've done this other thing and you've smashed the car up and it's on its roof. <laughs> High five for going on your roof. Just, just go. And Here's a wheel spin. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I, I get why they've done it. Mass appeal. Um, yeah. yeah. Critics yeah. would say that, like, oh, it, you know, because you can adjust the difficulty level or turn off aids or turn off rewind, like, it's okay. Like, it doesn't matter that they give you all these things because you can make the game the experience you want it to be. You can make it as hard or easy as you want it to be. Um, but the problem with that is, like, even when you play the game on a hard difficulty and you come in, like, yeah. ninth out of, like, 12 competitors, you'll still be, gev be given, like, 80% of the credits that you would have earned if you won the race. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll still be given a wheel spin <laughs> for reasons you don't understand. And, like, it, it, it doesn't matter. Like, even if you try to play, even if you do what you're told, it's like, play the game the way you want, like, ultimately the experience is one that's dictated from the moment you start, so. Well, the thing is, the, the game is a reviewer's dream. That's why it always does so well in reviews, because, like, I mean, let's be honest, like, in the mainstream racing games aren't really reviewed the way they, they should be to a certain extent. It's why we, we see complaints about a game literally branded Sega Alley not having damage and that type of thing. And, like, if you're a, a video games reviewer having to review 20 games, you turn on Horizon 4 and they just bomb bards you with all this content and you're playing it for like say a week it would seem like a fantastic game but the problem is that there's just no staying power there really i think that's the biggest issue look i mean i'm guilty of it i, I reviewed horizon 4 for tom's guide i cannot remember how much i how well i scored it but it might have been a 4.5 out of 5 yeah um, i can see why that's, and and the thing the is thing. too i mean like when i review games like you know, let's say if I did that review for GT Plan, I might have been more um, kind of critical of it. But Tom's God's audience is rather, um, you know, it's, it's more of a casual, like more of a generalist site. So, like, it's hard for me to tell somebody who ostensibly likes cars not to play a game <laughs> with yeah, all yeah. of these cars and all of these customization options and, like, this huge world you can, like, objectively on paper it is an amazing game it's probably one of the best racing games ever but like if you're discerning about things as we are and, and i'm not saying you have to the correct opinion is to have the one that we have but like there are a lot of holes that you can pick in that very rosy picture uh of horizon if you have played lots of our games and these things bother you so uh, yeah, that's what we've done, and I feel like that's what we've done like almost every episode <laughs> since <laughs> like the last three months or something like that. So, yeah. But how did how did work. we track of time? <laughs> this is the longest episode ever, definitely. You know, we're, we're we're touching two hours. I didn't think that we'd have to make like the PGR episode two episodes. Um, but I mean, this is going to be one. But like, I we we could have. <laughs> <laughs> it would have uh, broken up nicely, I guess. So, uh, Alex, thank you for uh, you know, for sparing two hours out of your 
I always struggle whether to call other people's schedules at this time busy or not, because it's like, yeah, we're all at home, but everyone also has shit to do and you have three kids. So I appreciate it nonetheless. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really resent having to talk about uh, Gotham. Um, I'm doing it for you this once, never again. Don't ask me ever again. Unless it's split second we're talking about. Unless it's split second or any of um, Sega's Model 2 or Model 3 arcade races. I think you will have to be on the split second episode just by virtue of the yeah. fact that Brendan will be talking to a brick wall because I have no opinions <laughs> or feeling on that. <laughs> I've been feeling for a while like we should just dedicate the month of May to those three racers. Like just to recap how fucking insane that time period was. Yeah. We might have to. Um, Alex, is there anything that you want to plug that the fine folks at Sega and yourself are working on? Um, no. Okay. Is that... <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, obviously, we Sega's trying to get uh, more of a streaming presence, and so you've you've been part of that as we're um as we're trying to get a bit bit smarter at uh, streaming. So. Keep keep an eye on the Sega uh, Twitter account because uh, we, we seem to be streaming all all, all sorts of stuff. But uh, yeah, we're, we're pushing to try and be streaming something every day. Obviously, current circumstances make that a bit difficult. Although we're actually trying to stream tomorrow through some remote streaming software, like a like a peer to peer version of Stadia. So we're going to be trying to play a little bit tomorrow. But yeah, um, Sega. Uh, so, so our our Twitch account, um, but also just just you know. Anybody who's listened to the podcast who d- doesn't get involved so much in the in the time extend community, that is a, a golden uh, community to be part of. I think I said it before, where it's the only Discord server that I haven't got sick of yet. <laughs> it's just uh, really good people, really interesting perspectives, and really knowledgeable about about all sorts. I mean, I've learned a lot. Um, oh God, I like, have on, too. On, yeah, yeah. No, it is an amazing community, and I remember somebody, like, I think right after we started, somebody was just like, oh, so aren't you going to make, like, rules or whatever for the for the community? And I was like, well, I haven't had to yet, and I mean, sure enough, it's been, like, three or four months. Like, I don't have to tell anybody what to say or do, because everyone's fantastic. So, uh, yes, always, always uh, looking to promote the community and thank everyone who's a part of it for making it a really cool place to be, especially at this time when, you know, we can't all can all see each other do things like normal humans so <laughs> discord is all we have yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right so thank you everybody for listening and uh you know stay safe out there and uh you'll hear from us again soon cheers guys cheerio